Welcome to the Village Church Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and taking the time to listen. We've prayed that this podcast channel blesses and encourages the Village family. So lean in with an open heart, eager to grow, and enjoy the episode. For those of you who've been around for the last while, you would know that we did a series, a preaching series entitled Christ Complete which in many ways was an attempt to give a, a fuller and a deeper and a more complete picture of Christ, who is the head of the church. And I hope we were able to do that as we looked at the seven great I Ams, those statements that Jesus made about himself, which in themselves gave us a bigger or more complete picture of this awesome King Jesus that we serve. So this preaching series which is entitled Church Complete, is equally an attempt, this time not so much to give a a full and a more complete picture of Christ, but rather of the church, of who the church is, what the church is, and what we call to be as the church. And I know if I asked the question this morning, what is the church? I think there would be a variety of, of, of different responses to that question. And no doubt many of them will be true, but all of them will just be a small part or a component of what the church is. And so through this series, we're hoping to give a a deeper, fuller picture of what the church is. The church that Jesus is building. The church that the gates of Hades will not be able to stand against because of what he is doing and building. But I think a better question to ask maybe is, well, what isn't the church? Because we'll get to what the church is, but what isn't the church? What is the church not? That, that sounds better English. Eh? What is the church not? Well, let me tell you what it's not. It's not an organization. The church is not a social club. It is not a business hub. It is not an entertainment center. Let me equally say it's not a preaching center, although the preaching of God's word will happen in the church. It's also not a spiritual supermarket where you as the consumer get to choose what you like and what you don't like. So what is the church? Well, scripture gives us a number of metaphors, a number of pictures of the church that help us to see the different facets or faces of the church, which when put together, give us a a broader view and understanding of what the church is. In terms of its mission, its mandate, its message, its ministry, its modus operandi, and any other M's you can come up with. These pictures of the church give us that understanding of this church that Jesus is building. And so the metaphors that that we're gonna look at over this series all come out of the book of Ephesians. And just a, a, a quick note to yourself about the book of Ephesians is that you'll notice, if you haven't already, that the first half of the book is about our position in Christ, who we are in Christ and what we need to know. A lot of doctrine in those first three chapters. But then the second half of the book of Ephesians is about our practice in Christ. Not just our position, but our practice in Christ. In other words, what the church needs to be doing. But we can only practice out of our position. If we don't understand our position, if we don't understand who we are in Christ, it's going to be very hard to practice and do what God's called us to do. 
And that's why position always comes before practice. Because it's out of that place of our understanding of who we are that we can go and be and do what God's called us to do. All right. So that's for free. I'll just throw that out there. All right. So what have we looked at so far? Week one, we've looked at the church being God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. Secondly, last week we looked at what the church is in terms of being God's household, the building of God, the temple of God. Brennan looked at that. This morning, we're looking at the body of Christ, which is the third metaphor, third picture we see in the book of Ephesians. All right? Now, it's interesting to note that this metaphor of the body comes through as a theme right through the book of Ephesians. And not only in Ephesians, but in many of the other letters that are written, um, even in the Gospels, you'll see this theme of the body of Christ coming through. So let me throw a few out there before we get to our key text this morning. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, it tells us how God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. In other words, the one who has all power and the one who has all authority releases that power in and through the church, his body. Isn't that amazing? That God has chosen to do that, to work with the church to that extent? Please, one amen out there. That's an incredible truth. That's why this is not an organization. It's not an entertainment center. No, this is the church, the body of Christ that Jesus is working with and has chosen to work with, to display his glory and his honor in this world through the church. Wow, come on. <laughs> Smile. There we go. That helps. All right. Just keep reading here. Chapter 2, verse 16. His purpose, that's God's, was to create in himself one new man out of the two. One new people out of two, believing Gentiles and believing Jews, thus making peace. And in this one body, please hear it. To reconcile both of them to God through the cross. Chapter 5 verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body of which he is the savior. Chapter 5 a bit further on verse 29 and 30. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all no one ever hated their own body. But they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. And we could go on and on and on showing how clearly this comes through in scripture. That Jesus is the head and we are his body. Members of his body. All right. So I hope we get that because if we don't get that. Everything else I'm going to say is going to just go over your heads this morning. Huh? All right. So if you've got your Bibles, you're more than welcome to turn there. Ephesians chapter 4. This is our text for the metaphor that we're going to use or that Jesus uses, Paul uses in scripture of the church. And so we're going to read from verse 1 through to 16. And I would love a bit of water if there is some somewhere. And this is what uh, Paul writes and says. Thanks, Shane. <clears throat> no, nothing. All right. So 
We need to be a little more prepared, eh? <laughs> okay, I'll read. It says, as a prisoner of the Lord then, this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. He says, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Notice there, the calling you've received, the calling to Christ, you've received, not achieved. We can never achieve salvation. Salvation is received as a free gift by grace through faith in Christ. And now he starts to show something of the practice. Now that we've received this, now that we know who we are, he says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pick it up from verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to do what? Here it is, to equip his people, you and I, for works of service, so that, here's the purpose, so that the body of Christ, again, you and I, may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then, as a result of this, we will no longer be infants tossed to and fro by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, not a part of the body, not some aspects or members of the body, thank you, but the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now it's interesting to note that the Greek word for our English word body is the word soma, S-O-M-A, which in itself is a metaphor for a number of people or persons united by a common bond. This body that gathers here on a Sunday, is united by one common bond. It's not rugby. (laughs) It's Jesus. That's what allows us to be his body. Now, in the New Testament, this word soma is a picture of the church being the spiritual body of Christ. And so what my physical body is to me The church is to Jesus Christ. That's the analogy. That's the metaphor that is being introduced to us. And so if that's true, well then what does this body, the church, consist of or comprise uh, comprise of? What should it look like and how should it operate? Well... We see from this passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4 
that there are a number of aspects that God wants us to adopt and to grow up into as his body. And so I want to have a look at some of those aspects this morning to give us a fuller and a more complete picture again of this incredible entity called the church, the body of Christ. Number one, we're looking at the aspects that make up this body. What does this body comprise of? Number one, it's our identity. Having an identity, identifying with this body. That when we look at the body of Christ, we include ourselves in it. Why? Because we are part of it. It's part of our identity. And so Paul starts this, this passage of scripture we've read in verse one by challenging us to live a life worthy of the calling we've received. And so the starting point is for us to understand that in Christ, being joined to Christ, we receive a new identity. That from the moment we get born again, we become saints in God's eyes. That we're no longer sinners removed from God, but we become saints. We become sons and daughters of God. Yes, we are saints who do occasionally sin, but our identity becomes saints. We become now priests that are part of a priesthood, the priesthood of all believers. We become what, what scripture refers to as believers. We become disciples of Jesus. We become heirs of the Father and co-heirs with Christ. We become Christ followers, which is the name called Christians. That's what we become. That's our identity. And Paul makes it very clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, when he tells us that in Christ, we become new creations with a new identity. And the old goes and the new comes. And of course, the challenge now for us is what Paul starts this, this discourse with, is that we now need to live up to that calling. We need to now live up to our new identity. And not only live up to it, but we need to live in it. When I was preparing this, I was reminded of a story I heard of Alexander the Great. Great conqueror. But there was one thing that Alexander the, ha- the, ha- the Alexander the Great hated was cowardice. And there was a time where they were in battle and they found one of the soldiers cowering in a cave. And they brought this man and they threw him before Alexander the Great, knowing that the wrath of Alexander is going to come on this guy because he hates cowards. And Alexander the Great looks at this young man and he says, boy, what is your name? And this man, petrified, looks up and says, Alexander, sir. And he says a second time, I said, what is your name? And he says, Alexander, sir. And a third time he said, what is your name? Alexander, sir. And Alexander the Great responds by saying, well, either change your name or change your conduct. And I want to say, rather than necessarily changing our name, can I say, let's live up to the name that we carry, the name of Jesus. Let us honor God and his name by the lives that we live, as Paul says, that you would live worthy of this calling that you've received. It's very easy to say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower. 
And then the world looks at you and says, really? Many were saying to Jesus, Lord, 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 we did this, Lord, we did that. And in in Luke chapter 6, what does Jesus say? Don't call me Lord. Why do you call me Lord if you're not prepared to do what I tell you to do? If you're not prepared to live in what I've called you to and live in the way that I want you to do, for goodness sake, stop calling me Lord. Call me something else. Call me teacher. Call me a prophet. Call me a a worker of miracles. (sighs) I love those bottles that fall every every Sunday. (laughs) I don't really love them, but they happen. Don't call me something unless you're willing to live in it and live up to it. Now, I'm not trying to, I'm not coming down on anyone. That's true for me as well. But if we're going to call ourselves and identify with Christ, then friends, there's a sense that we've got to live in that and live in the way that he wants us to live. And this is the point that Paul's making. And so when we're talking about our identity, again, a reminder is we don't only identify with the head, Jesus. We have to identify with his body. And that's what we see when it comes to water baptism. That we are baptized into Christ, the head, but we're also baptized into his body, the church. And scripture shows us that. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 tells us, For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. My point is we have now been incorporated into Christ's body. That's our identity. You cannot say you love the head of the church and I'm I'm baptized into Jesus and I identify with him, but I don't want anything to do with the church. It cannot be that way. It's impossible. Because if you only love the head and you have no time for the body, well, what does it tell us? A a head without a body is a corpse. eh? You've got to love both. You've got to be connected to both. You've got to identify with both. And that's the first thing we see when, when Paul talks here about the body of Christ. It starts with identity. Identifying ourselves as part of this body. Not like the pastor I heard once who said, oh, I love God. I just can't stand the people. (laughs) No, 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 no. We love God. We love Jesus, the head of the church. And because of that love that he puts in our hearts, we love each other. As difficult as some of you are to love. (laughs) As difficult as I am to love. It comes as a package, eh? Number two, keeping an eye on the time here. Because you don't know, I've got 25. I'm joking, joking, joking. Number two, what we need to be, have an understanding and grow in our understanding when it comes to the body of Christ is this issue of unity. And this is what we read here in verse three, Ephesians four. It says, Paul writes and he says, make every effort. Strong words there, make every effort. Damien, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's the charge that we're given in Scripture. Now let me just remind you, we don't create unity. That's God's initiative. That's His working. But what we are called to do 
is to keep and to maintain this unity. That we're to guard the unity that Jesus has given to us. That we're to promote it. That we to work towards it and give ourselves wholeheartedly to make this a reality in the body of Christ. In fact, in verse 12, we see that the fivefold ministry gifts are given. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. Yes, unity in doctrine, unity in belief, but also unity when it comes to heart and purpose. That's the unity that God's looking for. A unity of heart and purpose as we live out our faith. Remembering that where there is unity, it's there that God releases his blessing. Psalm 133. This is how Paul puts it to the Roman church in in Romans 15 verse 5. He says, may God give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. And the reason Paul had to declare that and even pray that for the Roman church is because this unity, and we're talking about biblical unity, not secular unity, but this biblical unity doesn't come easily or naturally to us because we are just so different and we see things so different and we act so different and we speak so different and some of us have different cultures and upbringings, et cetera, et cetera. But that is no excuse for us to maintain and to keep what God has called us to. And if it doesn't come naturally, then there's a response from us is that we've got to press into God for it. And we've got to press into each other for it, for that to happen. But it's a non-negotiable in God's economy. Why? Because being united with Christ necessitates us being united with one another. You cannot have one without the other. And this is how John puts it in 1 John 4.20 when he says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister, in other words, is not committed to unity, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister, again, this issue of unity, whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. In other words, must be doing everything they can to keep the unity of the Spirit. Everything. Because at the end of the day, we are called to build up the body of Christ, not to break it down. And you know what? Unity builds up. Disunity destroys And as the body of Christ, God expects us to be united. In fact, he demands unity of heart and purpose so that we can live out and be the expression of the church that he's called us to be. And I'm not just talking local church, I'm talking capital church, C church, universal church. Number three, following on from unity, is this thing of oneness, an understanding of our oneness in Christ. You might say, well, what's the difference? There is a difference, and I'll explain. But in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4, we're reminded again that there is only one body. Please hear that. There is only one body. 
Just as there is only one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, one. And God wants us to understand and be committed to this thing of oneness. In Romans 15, verse 5 and 6, and we read the first half of that passage already, where it says, may God give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. Here's why. So that with one heart and mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? When we do things with one heart and when we speak with one voice, let me tell you, that's when the church is most effective. And that's when the world sits up and takes notice of the church. But when the world sees a divided church, a church having a go at each other, a church that is not united, they treat the church with contempt, disinterest. Because Jesus said the same thing. If a house divided against itself will fall, it cannot stand. It's the same with the church. Paul says this to the Philippians, Philippians 2 verse 2, he says, then make my joy complete by being what? Like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And that's why oneness is not only about getting along with each other, it certainly includes that, but it's also about working together in achieving everything that God has called us to. Because I can do some, I can play some part in this vineyard of the church. And Shane can play another part. And Anthea can play another part. But you know what happens when all those parts are put together? And all those parts are working together. That's when the church is effective. But we can only do it with an understanding of oneness. And Amos 3.3 says, how can, you, how can two walk together except they be agreed? except they be one in spirit and purpose, is what he's saying. And that's why there is this call to oneness. Because there is only one body of Christ. One body of Christ. And Paul makes it very clear when he writes to the Galatians. In Galatians 3.28, when he says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. And may I add in there, there is neither evangelical or Pentecostal. There is neither reformed nor charismatic. There is neither orthodox nor messianic. For he goes on to say, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. One. And yes, the truth is at times we we will see and may see things differently be it to other believers, other churches, other groups, other denominations. But let's not allow our differences to separate us, to divide us. And yes, I'm talking about, and I'm not, let me say, put it this way, I'm not talking about the fundamentals of the faith, those we cannot disagree with. The virgin birth of Jesus, the bodily resurrection of our Lord Jesus, being saved by grace and not by works. But you know where we can agree to disagree is some of the gray areas, the non-negotiables, 
what Paul refers to in Romans chapter 14 as disputable matters, opinions. Beware your opinions don't become your prejudices. eh? We can still fellowship and speak well of the body of Christ or a section of the body of Christ that may not see things like we see or do things differently to us. Because oneness is not necessarily sameness. eh? (laughs) There can still be oneness in diversity and in difference. But if we're one in Christ, then we are one. The one and only body of Christ. It's what Jesus prayed for in John chapter 17. That the believers may be one as he and the Father are one. And if Jesus prayed that, then can I say it must be important. And we should be doing everything we can to come into agreement with that prayer. Number four. We've got five, by the way. In case you get nervous. Number four. For us to understand and grow in this thing of maturity as his body. Because again, we've got to see that God's intention for his church, for the body, is to become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Or as another translation says, until we measure up to Christ, who is the standard. That's who we've got to measure up to. And here's the reason, as we've already read, so that you will not remain as spiritual infants, tossed to and fro by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching or by the wind of teaching by cunning and deceitful people. Verse 13 and 14. The point is, is that God wants his body to grow up into Christ who is the head of this body and not for us to remain as spiritual infants or spiritual babies in Christ, always needing to be pampered and mollycoddled and nursed in every different way. It's the very thing that the Hebrew believers were chastised for. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 to 14, the writer says, By now, you Hebrew believers should be teachers. But actually, you're still needing someone else to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. He says, you need milk. You still need milk. Whereas you should be on solid food. And then he goes on and says, anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And then he goes on to say in chapter 6, verse 1, leave these elementary truths, or probably more accurately, move on from these elementary truths or teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. And as much as that was a challenge for the Hebrew Christians, I want to tell you it is a challenge for the church in this day and age. And more than just a challenge for the church, it's a challenge for you and I. And so let me ask you this morning, what are some of the things you're putting in place so that you can progress, that you can move on from spiritual milk 
to solid food? What things are you putting in place so that you can move from a place of being a spiritual infant to one who becomes mature and complete, not lacking anything, as James 1 verse 4 says? I want to put that question to you. And I could list a whole lot of things that I think together that all of us can and should be doing to enable and to facilitate growth and maturity. But you go before God and ask, Lord, what is it that you're calling me to do or not to do? But what I will tell you is there's definitely some things that will hinder your growth and your maturity. That will keep you as a spiritual infant. Here's some things like consumerism, complacency, comfort, convenience, compromise. Couldn't think of any more C's, but wrong priorities, disobedience, sin. And you know what the call is to throw all of those things off. In fact, to get rid of anything that hinders, including the sin that so easily entangles. Why? So that you can run your race with perseverance. And in running it, growing up to become more like Jesus. You want a vision for your life? There it is. Become more like Jesus in every way. And then lastly, it's in our participation where the members of Christ's body are functioning and working together to achieve everything that God's called us to, to see his will and his purposes being outworked. Where, as the scripture says, where the whole body, not a part of it, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Verse 15. Can I say to you this morning... That the mission of the church, the calling of the church, is not for the select few. It is not for a small minority to fulfill. No. God wants all hands on on deck. God wants every part to find their place, to take their place, and then to play their part in the building or the advancing of God's church. Every part. No exceptions. In fact, Paul devotes nearly a whole chapter to this theme in 1 Corinthians 12 of there being one body but many parts to it. And he goes at pains to tell us how important every part is. Everyone, every part of your body is so important for this body to function. Physically as well as spiritually. And the truth is that when some parts are not playing their part, the whole body suffers. And not only suffers internally in terms of support and relationships and our commitment to each other, but it also suffers externally in terms of our fruitfulness and our effectiveness as the church. Doing what God's called us to do. Because here's the thing, there is work to do as the church. If this is your work, getting here on a Sunday, then you've missed the the heartbeat of God's purpose for your life. Of why you're a masterpiece, a work of art, prepared to do good works. There's work to be done. 
If we were saved just to go to heaven, then the moment we got born again, God could have and should have just taken us home. But he's placed us on earth because he's got a purpose for us, individually, but also together, to advance his kingdom, to see people coming to salvation, to making a difference wherever we go, to be the light and the salt of Christ, to be the fragrance of Christ, to be the hope of eternity for people. There is purpose. Jesus says, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming where no one can work. And in some ways, the disciples thought night had come when Jesus was crucified. But he had to go because unless he went, the Holy Spirit couldn't come and enable us and empower us to do the works that Jesus did. And the things that Jesus did as he walked on this earth in, in, a, in, a, in a human body is what we now as his body are called to do. And even greater things according to John 14. My challenge to you as it is to me is be willing and be available to participate in whatever God asks you to do. Whatever. Where the heart is, Lord, I'll be whatever you need me to be. I'll do whatever you call me to do. Where no task, no request is too big, too inconvenient or too beneath me. Because I know and understand I have a part to play. So let's close. Paul chose this metaphor, the use, this metaphor of the body to show what the church can look like, but also how it can function and should function. When it comes to identity, to unity, to oneness, to maturity, and then to us participating in and with the body of Christ. You know, the church is still God's A plan, eh? In doing and achieving what he's purposed. And as such, he wants us to be knitted into that which is most precious and most sacred to him. And you know what? If it's precious to him, it's got to become precious to us. We cannot treat it from a distance, hands off. We cannot even view each other as just fellow parishioners that occasionally meet up on a Sunday. No, not if we understand the full extent of us being the body of Christ. With our identity, understanding unity, oneness, growing in maturity, so that we can participate and do everything he's called us to do. Let's pray. Lord, what an amazing metaphor that you've given us in the form of your body. No doubt incredible metaphors, understanding that we're this masterpiece, this workmanship in you. Amazing metaphor of being the building and the household of God. Next week as we'll look at the, the bride of Christ and then the army of God. But this one of the body definitely in some ways just demands a response from each one of us. Because we cannot choose whether we want to be a part of this body or not. Whether we want to function in the body or not. Whether we want responsibility in this body or not. The reality is you've placed us as part of your body. As members of your body. 
And Lord, we want to live up to that identity. We want to live up to that incredible calling. And so I do ask, Lord, for every one of us, we would see ourselves as an integral part of this body, the body of Christ. And if this body is hurting, we hurt with it. If this body is rejoicing, we rejoice with it. If there is something lacking in this body, we're quick to put up our hand and say, how can I help? How can I serve? What difference can I make? How can I be a blessing here? Whatever it may be, Father, we ask that you would help us to, to be that and to, to, and to respond to that. Help us to understand, Lord, not only who we are in you, but who we are in your body. Help us to understand this incredible call to unity. Let us not do things that will break unity, that will work against unity. Let us be careful how we guard the unity and also the oneness of your church, Lord. That we would speak well of other churches, other believers. That we would value them because they're part of the body. That we would continue to grow in our maturity as we become more like you. And then we'd be willing to participate in whatever way you call us to. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.